You've heard me talk about my preferred fish oil brand, Vital Nutrients, offering a line of 11 ultra-pure omega-3 solutions. Well, I'm happy to report that they also offer a great line of premium quality, clinically relevant, professional-grade products which help support optimal immune function, including quercetin, NAC, Viracon, and Aller-C. Quercetin supports healthy sinus and respiratory function. NAC delivers antioxidant support. Viracon is a unique herbal formula for comprehensive immune system support. And Aller-C provides respiratory histamine and sinus support. I'm so impressed with these products that I took them with me on my recent trip to Iceland. For more information and to order, go to vitalnutrients.co. That's vitalnutrients.co. Vital Nutrients products are formulated by healthcare professionals utilizing peer-reviewed research, bioavailable and bioactive ingredients in therapeutic doses. I take them and use them in my practice. Just go to vitalnutrients.co and check them out. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Our guest is an expert on the scientific basis of acupuncture and other related complementary and alternative modalities. She's Dr. Janet Mindes. And uh, in part one, she's sort of laying the groundwork for uh, how we think uh, acupuncture uh, might be applicable to modern medicine. So, uh, you, you know, acupuncture appears to be particularly helpful for some conditions, uh, yet for others, mm, you know, it's a little equivocal. You know, uh, the True. notion that, uh, you know, if I get run over by a truck, uh, that uh, the first clinician who would rush to my assistance would bring with them acupuncture needles. I'm not sure that would be that reassuring a scenario. Maybe it is in <laughs> China where that could be quite no, I don't think there either. <laughs> yeah. But so I, I think we have to differentiate between conditions that are uh, likely to be amenable to acupuncture and other conditions where, you know, it might be useful for general toning or support, uh, but not uh, directly germane. Well, exactly. Of course, you know, I'm sure we're all very grateful for modern medicine for many, many reasons. It goes without saying. And, uh, you know, your listeners undoubtedly know that Chinese medicine goes back thousands of years, and this is a pre-modern kind of medicine which has persisted, so one has to ask oneself uh, why it did, uh, given that some pre pre-modern aspects of Western medicine have gone away. I won't get into all of that. That's a whole huge subject. But um, the fact is that the Chinese way of thinking about the body is so different from the Western, and of course, these, as you properly said, often Chinese medicine can be used very effectively to help maintain health and to kind of nudge our basic uh, physiology and our self-healing mechanisms in a better direction. So that is traditionally a use to which it's put. But uh, let me give you a sort of a, an example recently of how to, how to think about when acupuncture is truly relevant, obviously not for certain kinds of trauma and emergencies, possibly for recovering from sequelae of those. Uh, such as pain, for example. Uh, recently, there's been much talk, of course, about addressing the opioid crisis, and I won't get into that in any detail, but a wonderful paper came out advocating on behalf of acupuncture being included in the armamentarium to address the opioid crisis, and in conjunction with presenting that whole uh, question to my classes, I also took note of an article by some addiction experts uh, at the National Institutes of Health, Dr. Nora Volkow, who's one of our national and international experts in the area. And in their uh, scheme of how to address the opioid crisis, 
they uh, think of several different uh, sub-contexts in terms of a strategy. And of course, they're concerned with the mainstream strategy. They nowhere mention acupuncture, by the way. But they talk about rescue. You know, people are having, uh, you know, uh, an overdose. And what do you do about that? And then they talk about addressing the maladaptive neural and physical patterns due to opioid addiction. And then they talk about new strategies to deal with pain. And of those three categories of intervention, acupuncture would be highly relevant for numbers two and three, mm-hmm. not for rescue when people are about to die of an overdose, you know, for reasons of its temporal course and its relative gentleness, it's not something to rescue in traumatic and acute situations, mm-hmm. uh, but it's highly relevant to re- reorganizing things in the body. For example, to give you an example of research my students have looked into, acupuncture may well be relevant for phantom limb pain, may be relevant for PTSD, areas where uh, our neural system and uh, the also sometimes hormonal system, other kind of intra-bodily communication systems are very out of whack for reason of could be even an acute trauma. And over time, acupuncture can be quite effective in healing some of those maladaptive patterns. And then, of course, it's highly relevant to dealing with pain in many contexts. So there's something called the Acupuncture Evidence Project. This is based, anyone can look that up. There's a wonderful new update on that on the web. It's by a consortium of people involved in acupuncture research, I believe. And what their mission is, they started some 20-odd years ago, their mission is periodically to look at the the acupuncture research literature again and see is the strength of the research evidence now such that we can class uh, acupuncture for a certain medical indication as strong enough evidence, quality evidence by the usual uh, high research standards. It's based on studies that are properly, um, you know, properly constructed, have the right kind of research design, the right kinds of placebo and other controls all the other hallmarks of quality that the people in the research world count on, you know, this is part of our training. If you submit a grant proposal and those hallmarks of quality are not there, you'll never get funded. You learn, you know, what what you have to do to do research correctly. So they are looking into the literature and saying they have a search term uh, set up, you know, pulling all the studies on a certain indication, which ones are quality data, and, and is there enough of that quality data to say we now show, we can see there's real proof that acupuncture can work for this indication. And if there isn't, then you keep leaving that condition in a list of lower quality proof. And Mm -hmm. over, they have added more and more and more conditions to their list. Some are still in the not so great proof uh, category, but many are climbing up. So to give you an example, and all this is laid out in their recent report, evidence of positive effect that the research really supports allergic rhinitis, chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting, chronic low back pain, headache, both tension type and chronic, uh, knee osteoarthritis, migraine prophylaxis, post-operative nausea and vomiting, post-operative pain. Notice that many of these are relatively self-controlled, self-contained conditions. My point about that is that when you start addressing very complex conditions such as mental health conditions or cancer or um, IBS or systemic problems, you know, uh, fibromyalgia, uh, such things, these are harder to study. So, you know, the, the conditions for which it's easier to have, uh, you know, it's still a complicated endeavor, but you have a, a relatively self-contained conditions such as osteoarthritis of the knee, which you can study more 
efficiently and with greater certainty than studying a complex condition. And so those are the studies for which you tend to produce the strongest evidence over time. The more complex conditions take longer to produce that kind of incontrovertible evidence. You know, it's sort of a logical um, concept. Evidence of potential positive affect for many, many conditions, including such things as dry eye, insomnia, irritable bowel syndrome, schizophrenia in conjunction with antipsychotics, um, plantar heel pain, obesity. Uh, it's a very heterogeneous list. And then it goes on to talk about conditions for which there's weaker evidence. And it's. let me stress that this does not mean that eventually there might not be, uh, or not to use our double, double negatives here, eventually some of those conditions will make it onto the strong evidence mm -hmm. list. The, the good enough studies simply do not exist yet. And that's why they're saying we just don't know enough yet, and they're being responsible and not giving it a, a check, you know, onto that list of we know it works. So we're shortchanging uh, acupuncture if we say that it's just good for pain conditions. It seems to one common denominator of the conditions that you've recited here uh, is that they have something to do with, it seems to me, the autonomic nervous system, the balance between parasympathetic and sympathetic, and that uh, those... Uh, pathways, which are very hard to affect with, I mean, there are conventional drugs, but it's a little bit like uh, using a sledgehammer on a finely tuned Swiss watch, that that right. uh, system can be kind of mm, finely regulated with uh, acupuncture. Yes, absolutely. You know, acupuncture conceives of a lot of conditions in the body as patterns of disharmony. You know, I think we can roughly think of that as you know, some of these complex systemic conditions where something is out of whack. It could be for many different reasons of hormones, neurotransmitters. You know, these days we know a lot more, for example, about the status of gut health, the whole gut microbiome area research has exploded. Uh, you know, that if our uh, internal, and by the way, all traditional medicine systems stress the importance of the health of, of, gut, of the gut and of diet, even if they knew nothing about bacteria in the gut and all that we know from modern science, they understood that gut health and uh, digestion are very important to general health and aging well. Uh, so all of these different, uh, you know, this whole ecology within our body is something that acupuncture and, and also traditional Chinese medicine in the botanical area can modulate very well. And you're quite right that many of our drugs, however needed and useful they may be, are often somehow not addressing this systemic uh, environment. They're addressing a fairly narrow, uh, narrowly defined goal. And I want to give you an example from a fascinating clinic study sure. was done in China. And by the way, I want to stress, since I know we're trying to touch on so many things here, people should go to PubMed, the, uh, the uh, search resource of the National Library of Medicine. This is where almost all quality research is indexed. There are 28 plus thousand papers published on acupuncture that are indexed on PubMed. Mm. Most people have no idea, and it's growing all the time. So, you know, Again, there are researchers trying to really make sense of this literature, and some of it is not the best quality, or they may have done a perfectly nice study, but it's just a pilot study. They don't have big enough data to have statistical power to establish an effect. There are many considerations, but the research is growing. The quality of the research, including coming out of Asia, which used to be you know, a little weaker, they weren't up on all our modern Western uh, clinical science techniques or they one might think well maybe they have a skin in the game about promoting national pride in Chinese medicine yeah. there there is sometimes a, a bit of a chauvinistic uh, element sometimes to 
uh, promoting certain therapies. I noticed that a lot of studies on the benefit of sauna come from Finland, for example. <laughs> right. Well, uh, they know it. Studies <laughs> on the benefit of uh, of uh, uh, soy or the benefit of um, natto come out of Japan, and right. so on and so on. Uh, right. So, yeah. And our studies are chauvinistic in promoting only drugs and drugs, surgery, and yes. not only, but you know, right. Westerners, right. Americans don't realize yeah. that. Wonderful as our science is, we have our biases too. So I want Indeed. to cite this uh, study. It was uh, seconded, actually. The results overall were seconded in some ways, or you know, to the extent the studies were similar, by some research done at Harvard Medical School by a very noted integrative medicine research group there, headed up by Dr. Maurizio Fava, Dr. David Mishulan. These are leaders in the field. They've been investigating all kinds of integrative medicine. So the study I refer to adds, so, so there's a, another dimension here. Do you want to talk about acupuncture research as a acupuncture as a monotherapy as the sole treatment? Mm -hmm. Or do you talk about it as an adjunct treatment? And many times, you know, again, a gateway way of of, of uh, establishing the usefulness of acupuncture can be to say, you know, it's safe, which it is. Many studies and and uh, investigations have established it as very safe under most circumstances, of course, with proper infection control and proper training of the acupuncturist. But given that, it is an extremely safe and cost-effective remedy, and it can be easily added to many protocols. So in this study, they, they reasoned that adding it to a protocol of SSRI antidepressants serotonin select selective mm -hmm. serotonin reuptake inhibitors would do the following and this is kind of a, a scientific hypothesis not just a kind of a clinical study per se they reasoned that the ssris do you know do something to affect uh, serotonin availability in the brain we all know that and it's part of of uh, helping to lift a depression and uh, they reasoned that there's a great need to shorten the window between when you get an SSRI uh, initially when you are depressed seriously depressed and need a drug and when that drug takes effect which mm -hmm. can take six to eight weeks yep. high risk period for suicide or mm -hmm. you know negative pro big problems also for compliance and, you know for because uh, you know, exactly. these people are not highly motivated to begin with and they're going to just get disgusted and they say well I took it for a couple of weeks and I just don't feel good Absolutely. And, you know, again, not having your serious depression alleviated quickly can be a very risky situation. But also, you point out compliance, there are issues about the side effects of the drugs sure. and drugs not addressing many of the secondary symptoms, the so-called vegetative symptoms. Mm -hmm. So together, drug side effects and vegetative symptoms are a big part of the picture. And if people don't get relief from those, they often don't comply with your drug. So they added a certain pattern of acupuncture, and this gives you a flavor for the way Chinese medicine thinks. It's called uh, nourishing heart and soothing liver acupuncture. And it has nothing to do directly with what we think of as our heart, our cardiac right. muscle, or our liver. Yep. It's a Chinese way medicine uh, concept about patterns in the body and what governs them according to their philosophy. I won't get into that, but there's a wealth of, uh, of knowledge and books out there. And this is what some of what acupuncturists are trained in, of course, the original TCM Chinese thinking about this. So they reasoned that these would help to speed up the uh, efficacy of the SSRI drug in part by helping to reduce inflammation. We know inflammation in the body drives depression. So this would reduce inflammation and would upregulate anti-inflammatory markers, downregulate pro-inflammatory markers, and also help to address some of the drug side effects and the secondary phenomena of depression. And unless the study is too good to be true, it looks like a quality study to me, but they achieved all of those objectives. Wow. So they, they were not 
It's impressive. I mean, it's impressive such that I, if I were a psychiatrist with you know patients on SSRIs struggling with the side effects and the other problems that the SSRI is not directly addressing, mm-hmm. it's really mostly addressing mood issues, uh, then I would absolutely consider, again, I'm not an MD, but you know, I work with many and I know many, and I would absolutely consider sending such a patient to try acupuncture. It can't hurt, it's mm-hmm. safe, and it may help with some of these other symptoms and see if it does. And again, no, you know, one size doesn't fit all, as with our Western drugs, it may work for some, not for all, but it absolutely, I wish that study would be replicated on a large scale with maybe a few more features to the study to see if it really holds up and should be recommended. This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Propax with NT Factor, a complete vitamin and mineral formula. NT Factor is the only nutritional formula clinically proven to reduce fatigue, whatever the cause, whether it be age, illness, or just being run down. NT Factor repairs damaged cells, restores healthy bacteria in your digestive tract. Clinical trials have shown NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half and it even reverses some symptoms of aging. I've been taking NT Factor for years and now the 45 day money back guarantee you have nothing to lose. To order, call 800 982 9158. That's 800 982 9158. Or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Well, you know, there are a lot of obstacles, of course, to studying acupuncture. Uh, because of what is termed the placebo effect. And, you know, I have no problem with invoking the placebo effect. I actually try to invoke the placebo effect with my patients and try and encourage them. Uh, But, you know, when you want to study the value of a therapy, uh, how do you do that with acupuncture? What do you do? You stick needles in at random points in the body? No, no. You you bring up a very valid point. By the way, let me say, in general, Earlier studies, and this is one reason why the acupuncture students at Tri-State would often say, we don't want to learn about research. It's just <laughs> right. all not yeah. better than placebo, not better than placebo. Yeah. You know, now the studies are getting better partly because they understand more that there are certain particular ways you have to design an acupuncture study to be valid, uh, something that's been added to uh, the on the part of the acupuncture research community, added to the picture, something called STRICTA guidelines. This is uh, an acronym for a consortium it's what is the kind of information about the acupuncture intervention that should be in every single published study. So some of the studies that show placebo effect, maybe they weren't good enough methodologically, and also you have to have proper sham or placebo controls. But, you know, now people really should be reporting on exactly how many needles they used, which points in the Chinese system they needled, how long they were in, whether they twirled the needles or not. Mm-hmm. This has significance for the biological effects, um, the a- expertise of the acupuncturist, a long mm-hmm. list of things that must be yeah. characterized and be controlled in the study. That's relatively new, so we're seeing better studies with more of this kind of uh, rigorous control. A study came out recently, rather a, a, a paper, uh, by some of the top acupuncture researchers, that would include Helene Langevin, who's uh, famously at, uh, she's at Harvard Medical School and has been publishing groundbreaking research on the effects of acupuncture needling on the connective tissue, the subcutaneous tissue between the skin and the muscle. Of course, sometimes the needles go into the muscle, but mostly the needles are going into this tissue layer between the surface of the skin and the muscle tissue. And twirling the needles, her research shows, has all kinds of local and distal biological effects. I hope we'll have a little time for me to say something about that. But she recently published a paper saying that really the acupuncture community is at fault for not, that is the larger 
practitioner plus research community is at fault for not really more tightly defining what is acupuncture and what is being done at an acupuncture point. So definition one is procedure using acupuncture needles. It could be at tender points. There's a kind of acupuncture called APM, acupuncture physical medicine. It was actually developed by Dr. Mark Seam at the Tri-State School. And this is a little more designed for our American-style physiatry and physical medicine and rehab, you know, palpating for tender points for muscle tightness and so on and inserting needles at points that the expert practitioner feels, uh, you know, the points to kind of release or stimulate uh, that would help with the healing there locally. We used to call that in acupuncture school, we call that de chi. Well, wait a minute. Duchi is the feeling of the The uh, energetic, uh, the needle response. That's not the same thing, uh, Dr. Hoffman. As as palpating with a finger. For example, Tri-State has three different schools of acupuncture that the students train in. Most schools train just in traditional Chinese medicine Hmm. uh, canonically. There's also KM acupuncture, uh, named after an expert practitioner trained originally in Japan, Kiko Matsumoto, who is famous in the field. And she does much more of a, as I understand it, again, no expert, uh, I'm not an expert in this, but there's acupuncture physical medicine, which is more like rehab medicine, uh, kind of moderated, moderate, modified American style, KM, which is more a palpation of tender points and using her particular more uh, Japanese-based pattern of style of acupuncture, and then this TCM style, the really classical Chinese style. But getting back to this business about defining the uh, needling, so tender points are not, da qi means the acupuncture needle is placed, often twirled, and then the patient feels an arrival of this kind of energetic mm-hmm. jolt. It yeah. feels like the nerve kind of giving you mm-hmm. a jolt, mm-hmm. uh, as if you had a little mild electric shock. It's not really painful, it's just it's something that happens. And often the skilled practitioner can feel this chi or this yeah. chi sensation coming to the needle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll so the yeah. so it's exactly tender well, I know exactly you have this clinical training tender points anatomical structures for example you might target to needle a sensory nerve or a particular muscle not just a tender point but a specific anatomical location or you might needle at canonical Chinese acupuncture points which are defined by the meridians and so on on the other hand definition two is procedure I'm reading from Dr. Langevin's paper procedure performed at acupuncture points so there's either using the needle that's acupuncture or a procedure of some kind performed at acupuncture points that could include using acupuncture needles or using injections sometimes bee mm-hmm. venom is injected yeah. Yeah. Not at an acupuncture point or using transcutaneous electrical stimulation right. putting so a little electro- electrode on the uh, acupuncture exactly. needle to send a uh, electrical current in there which is thought for by some people to be a stronger form of stimulus exactly and then you can even use laser plus in traditional chinese medicine you might use moxibustion mm-hmm. uh, the uh, burning of this moxa herb it's a kind of artemisia mm-hmm. And according to Chinese medicine, has special properties uh, which can potentiate aspects of the acupuncture needle uh, phenomenon. So I want to point out that, for example, yes, uh, electrical stimulation can be more powerful, but you can't use electroacupuncture at all of the different points that are used for manual acupuncture. There are select points. And we know from modern um, biomedical bioengineering investigation that the distance between the two needles and the amount of current, the frequency of the current, and so on, all of that modulates what might be the biological sequela mm-hmm. to that stimulation. And that it has in common with brain stimulation, by and the way. more isn't better, necessarily. 
That's right. That's right. And some of those products might be released differently at one fre- electrical frequency versus another electrical frequency. So in my thinking, as I learn this literature more, it seems clear that, as Dr. Langevin points out, there really are far more parameters that you need to define mm-hmm. as a researcher, that you need to define what you are doing so that just needling your your active point for a certain condition or what we call a point palette, the group of points you might needle for an active treatment of a certain condition, you have to define that, but you also have to define where is your sham acupuncture point. It can't just be somewhere on the body. It has to be controlled vis-a-vis where you did your um, your active or virum acupuncture needling and on and on. You know, I don't want to get tedious with all the research mm-hmm. details, but many parameters now need tighter definition. And, uh, you know, I'd like to just mention about the, um, uh, a little bit of the uh, excitement about the basic science research literature. Dr. Langevin, again, has been a leader in that field. And believe me, there are so many exciting papers out there. You know, one study used a device of some kind to uh, study using Fourier analysis, a kind of, it's like some kind of electric device that you can uh, place a, a sensor on the radial arterial pulse on the wrist, which is where acupuncturists would be checking the nature of your pulse, another thing that's uh, common in Chinese medicine. But instead, using a device to try to characterize is the pulse pattern different in people diagnosed with bipolar disorder versus normals on average. Mm. And that study revealed that using Fourier analysis, a kind of mathematical uh, uh, technique, they were able to reveal that, yes, there were distinctly different pulse patterns. Uh, so that's one form of basic science research. Another would be uh, the kind of work that Dr. Langevin has been doing, studying this connective tissue change with the local twirling of the needle. And you see uh, changes in cytoskeletal form locally. Uh, you're able then to uh, kind of um, extrapolate from that based on other research that there is very probably, uh, in other words, she looked at what changed with the cells and uh, certain... And, and, um, and by the way, that, that's actually yes. uh, got a lot of headlines because they you know, came yes. out with this uh, clickbait headline that said, uh, lo and behold, in 2018, we've discovered the body has a new organ. And exactly. that new organ is the connective tissue, which is actually where acupuncture may do a lot of its, uh, may Absolutely. exert a lot of influence. Yeah, I'm it's, so glad you mentioned that. You know, yeah. so it's called the interstitium or it's the yeah. connective tissue. And you correctly said it was sort of this, you know, wow, we discovered this. And many of my colleagues in integrative medicine who've studied Chinese medicine, Indian Ayurvedic medicine say, huh, you know, we, we've known about this uh, through that those medicine, medical traditions have known about this for thousands of years. It's called special channels or it's called, you know, the something microtubules or whatever. Hmm. So, but the point in Western medicine, uh, why we didn't know about this before, is that apparently when you study that layer of tissue uh, sort of uh, taken out of the body and it kind of dries out and collapses and you can't see, you can't visualize the inner structure, and in that study on which that published paper uh, was based that led to this excitement, they were doing some kind of a cancer surgery-related procedure and they somehow had some in live tissue, a scope in there or something, and they were able to see these fluid-filled spaces in that connective tissue and therefore reveal some of the structure that had been obscure. And this is connected to the lymphatic system. You know, they're mostly interested in how this uh, these channels may, for example, be involved in cancer metastasis. But I immediately looked at that and thought, wow, this has to relate to new ways to study how acupuncture may have some of its effects, both locally and distally. I want to reserve a little bit of time 
to discuss uh, your work with TMS. You know, a lot of people uh, just hate the idea of needles, and uh, it, TMS uh, may have some parallels to acupuncture in terms of the way it works on the brain. Well, uh, yes and no. They're, they're relatively distant parallels. Let me uh, contextualize my involvement sure. with TMS. When I was at the Rosenthal Center, uh, unfortunately, eventually that center did close. You know, we had NIH grants, and I won't bore listeners with the details, but it's very difficult to keep such efforts going sometimes vis-a-vis grant money availability. And it, long story short, my work there ended partly because that center uh, unfortunately ended. Now we see integrative medicine is even more relevant. It should have been uh, continued, but for various reasons, uh, that involvement ended. And so the... Um, I. I proposed at around that time a study to the then director of the brain stimulation unit at uh, Columbia Medical Center. That would be Dr. Holly Listenby, Sarah Listenby, a very, very noted uh, investigator in the field of brain stimulation research. And so she was willing to entertain a small effort concerning what's called cranial electrical stimulation. And that is uh, kind of the reason I was interested in it, I didn't start out uh, heading toward brain stimulation work, because CES, as it's often called, has been out there for a hundred odd years, uh, you know, as a kind of a ad hoc, uh, low intensity, pretty safe device that people might buy off the internet or before the internet, they'd somehow acquire one of these little alternating current devices supposedly for, or, you know, it's been substantiated, it can help with conditions such as uh, sleep problems, uh, mild to moderate anxiety and depression, and so forth. But there had been a long research literature of mostly poor quality uh, for decades. The Russians had studied it and so on, electrosleep, they called it, uh, after Pavlov discovered his dogs fell asleep when he <laughs> stimulated them with those kinds of currents in his experiments. And that led to my proposing some work on CES, and that led to my becoming involved with this really very wonderful brain stimulation group at, at Columbia at the time. Uh, it's since been reorganized somewhat, but in any case, uh, that led to my actually being involved with some studies and some education in the area of TMS. So transcranial magnetic stimulation, as some of your auditors may not know, is... Uh, uses a powerful magnet to stimulate areas of the brain. And one thing it certainly does not have in common with acupuncture is that it stimulates very powerfully so that the magnetic fields and the current can literally be pushed right through the skull and affect the underlying area of brain tissue. And it's used often to alleviate depression. It's uh, looked at experimentally for things like obsessive compulsive disorder. Where What it helps depends a lot on exactly where you stimulate. Acupuncture or even uh, cranial electrical stimulation are not powerful enough. Electroacupuncture or manual acupuncture in the cranial area are not powerful enough to stimulate through the skull into the brain. What they do is they stimulate cranial nerves in various ways. If the electrodes or the, the needles are in the inner ear area, then, as I mentioned, they will stimulate the vagus nerve. So altogether, those kinds of stimulation, to me, add up to acupuncture being a kind of a brain stimulation modality. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, from the, you know, we know that acupuncture stimulates from the periphery, the nervous system in the periphery or peripheral nervous system versus central nervous system or the brain. So that stimulation of the peripheral nerves Frequently then, I mean, basically its endpoint is always the central nervous system, so acupuncture's effects peripherally can definitely have central effects. 
It's a very different way of trying to affect the brain, but it is definitely a way of affecting the brain. And, you know, the more we learn about what each modality is good for, the more we can target when to use it for certain conditions. In conclusion, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, acupuncture, that sounds pretty good. Uh, I wonder if my condition is amenable to uh, acupuncture. Uh, what are some good resources? And importantly, how do you find a good acupuncturist? Right. Well, some of that is word of mouth. You ask your friends and colleagues, and many times they will have gone to someone they highly recommend. The Tri-State School, and I'm sure all the other schools, leading schools of acupuncture, have reliable lists on their websites. Uh, you can just Google the Tri-State College of Acupuncture or the Pacific College of, of Oriental Medicine here in New York, uh, any others, and they will have lists of recommended acupuncturists, people they've trained, people they are willing to uh, say, you know, are really highly qualified and, uh, and get good results. I also urge your listeners, uh, if they don't already, to access the website of the National Institutes of Health's Institute for, I think it's now called National Center for Integrative and Complementary Health. So it has an acronym and keep changing the name. C yeah, right, they keep changing the name. NCCAM, yeah, but now they change. Right it. now it's NCCIH or something like this. Go to that website and there is uh, very authoritative information there on all the integrative medicine modalities. You know, this is evidence-based or supported by research information about acupuncture and all the other modalities that people are accessing. And at times, I have to say, maybe that site is a little too conservative, but they are basing mm -hmm. what they say to the general public, obviously, as they should, mm -hmm. on the strength of the research evidence. And uh, there are many, I would go to the Acupuncture Evidence Project, of course, to understand more about whether your condition might be helped. Is there strong enough evidence for that? But I would say, a priori, go to the top schools and uh, see what they say about accessing a good provider and what they say about, you know, can tell you about, yes, acupuncture is safe and you should only go to providers who practice what's called clean needle technique. All of the needles are sterilized. They're bought in little packets. You never reuse them. Disposable. Uh, they're disposable, exactly. You know, you don't want to go to someone who doesn't use that technique. Uh, you know, the likelihood of a serious event from somebody misusing the needles is not very high. The research literature says, you know, it's you might get a little local infection, occasionally something more serious, but nonetheless, you do not want to take that risk. You want to go to providers who practice clean needle technique, use disposable needles, are expertly trained, are vouched for by their school or by, uh, you know, it's very solid word of mouth. Don't just go to anybody. Okay. Well, I, I want to thank you uh, very much, uh, Dr. Janice Mindy's because Janet Mindy's because uh, you know we are in the trenches. We and I include myself as one of these. We're clinicians. Uh, we see patients. We're busily uh, working away at uh, finding solutions for patients. But uh, we need uh, individuals like you. And unfortunately, they're few and far between who do the basic science research to study and hopefully validate uh, the therapies that form our armamentarium of. Uh, integrative medicine. So, uh, you know, a wonderful career and you continue to uh, offer a great deal uh, in your roles with uh, acupuncture and TMS. And so uh, keep up the great work and check in with us from time to time with uh, any new updates. Thank you. I'd like to update right now before we close. Sure. I'm not currently involved with TMS research. I do have a publication out there about CES research. CES. But uh, yes, and also, um, 
I did want to say that currently the Tri-State School is not doing research, but we hope to. We hope to collaborate with area medical centers. So I've been laying the groundwork through my academic work in the research basis of acupuncture, and I'm very happy that you've given me this opportunity to share some of that with your listeners. Uh, it's a a tremendously important area, as I said, raising questions for Western medicine, offering promise of a lot more health and uh, clinical options for patients. So thank you so much for having me on this program. My pleasure, Dr. Mindy's. And uh, that concludes today's broadcast. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant, and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.